Business Women Rock, episode 24. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. What's up, ladies? Thank you so much for being here with me today on the Business Women Rock podcast. Let's get right into our show today. My guest is Deborah Sweeney, who's the owner of My Corporation. They help small businesses with any of their legal filing needs, such as setting up LLC or setting up a C corporation, and it's all done online. They've had 500,000 people utilize these services. Now, Deborah has a pretty amazing story in the sense that it's really diverse for her as a businesswoman. So this is not your traditional, she started the company from scratch and has grown it to this $8 million company. Deborah's story is more of one that has a couple of twists and turns and really interesting how she has come to own my corporation and how she's come to really lead it and grow it. So my conversation with her today is about that story and about all the great things that she's done behind the scenes to grow the business. So turn up the volume. The interview starts now. Deborah, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Katie. It's my pleasure. I am so excited to tell your story today and to really highlight you here because you have such a very unique business path that you have followed all these years. And, uh, and it really suits a lot of our listeners who many of them are professionals in their own field and you've had that experience and many of them are entrepreneurs and have run business of their own. And you kind of, ha- you have both of those, you, you really have had a professional life in both of those buckets. So I'm really excited to talk to you today and to be able to, to have everyone hear your story. So I really want to start with, why did you become an attorney in the first place? I think this is probably a question that many people ask attorneys. So what attracted you about about being an attorney? I think for me, it was really about understanding the law and the facets behind the law. I also had this notion of making a difference and being impactful. Um, I really liked the area of intellectual property and corporate law. So in my mind, it was about getting businesses started. How do you work with businesses? How do you um, help them figure out their intellectual property? So my focus in practicing law was um, trademarks, copyrights, and patents and, and litigation related to that. So really, I think as I was thinking about becoming an attorney, it was more about how do I help businesses get started and running. And it's interesting how it played itself out into my career over the long term, but I think that was my initial impetus. I also went to business school. So I think in the back of my mind, I had this notion of of a a joint JD and MBA that could help me kind of become a well-rounded business person as well. This company that you worked for before, was that really your first venture out of law school? Yeah, so I went into a law firm environment and was working in standard litigation, civil litigation, and a lot of it was sort of insurance defense related and realized that I wanted to get, as I mentioned earlier, kind of more of a focus on intellectual property, trademarks and copyrights. So I actually went into a law firm that enabled young lawyers to sort of start their own practice in a sense. So this firm did not have an intellectual property practice. And I had, I think at the time, seven clients. And I brought all those clients with me to the firm and had sort of a business within a firm and developed my own practice for intellectual property. One of my largest clients was the company that I now own, my corporation. And I 
was doing outside work for them, sort of almost in the vein of outside general counsel where you they have a question and they call you up and, and you can solve it or you can work with other lawyers in your firm that can help solve problems, employment issues, like I mentioned, corporate issues, intellectual property things, even responses to Better Business Bureau, for example, and how do we respond to that. So just sort of being there as an outside general counsel. And that was my role prior to moving in um, to in-house counsel at my corporation. And what did you like best about that experience? I feel like it was neat in a way to be able to, A, be the master of my own destiny in a law firm environment. A lot of lawyers who are young are really stuck kind of working underneath a partner and doing the, the, the maybe grunt work, for lack of a better term. And so I was able to be more active in my clients' businesses and also um, kind of see the business side of the law and look more from the perspective of a business owner as well as a lawyer. And then I think the opportunity to work with multiple different companies to see that no company has the same business issues or the same legal issues. And I think ultimately it gave me perspective as I became an entrepreneur later in life, realizing that a lot of people encounter a lot of things in the business. um, And there's so many different issues and things that come up that having a background in the law is really helpful. And what were a few of the things that you absolutely did not like about what you were doing for that firm? Okay, so when you're in a when you're a lawyer, you have to do billable hours, and you have to track every second of your day. and And while that can be great because you work hard and you work lots of hours, and it's fun at the end of the day to see you worked fourteen point five hours in that day, it's monotonous. The notion of tracking hours, of being um, a partner, of being accountable to a law firm that's looking at your every minute, it can be hard and stressful. And frankly, I had just become a partner of the firm before I found out that I was pregnant with my first son. So then, the back of my mind. The, the probably the most stressful thing is balancing work and life um, when you're expected to work pretty significant hours in a law firm environment. How long were you, did you stay at that firm while you were, you know, taking care of your kids as well? So my son was just about just under one when I moved to the in-house counsel role at my corporation. So I was at the firm for five years, and then on my last year, I um, had my first son and then went in-house to be the general counsel for one client. So at that point, I went from sort of six or seven clients, um, large clients, down to one. And in in essence, I became focused on the solutions and services that I could offer to this one, one provider, one client, and that was my corporation. So something pretty significant happened right about at that five-year mark with this company. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what happened that completely put you on a different path? Around that time when I went in-house, we were in discussions with lots of partners on throughout every type of business growth from, you could probably guess, Vistaprint to web-based services to domain name providers, and one of our partners was Intuit, and they were looking to work together with us to establish basically a growth channel for the Intuit QuickBooks software and other um, divisions of their company. So ultimately, we were acquired by Intuit after about six months of negotiations. So we went, when you say kind of changed my whole business path and and path of life, I went in-house with the company um, when we were acquired. And the original owners, uh, who I knew from law school, left the company and I was appointed to run the division under Intuit. And so I went from being, you know, outside lawyer to inside counsel to running a division of Intuit in a short span of time. And so it really changed my perspective, but then also kind of expanded my horizons in many ways. This made me start thinking about leveraging my expertise from a business standpoint and not just a legal standpoint. 
Now, let's take just a second. If you could please give us a rundown of exactly what my corporation offers and what makes it so unique. Our service it does incorporations and LLC formations for businesses and entrepreneurs throughout the U.S. and Canada. And what makes us unique is that we don't just do that first placement of incorporating or forming your LLC, but we really focus on the life cycle of a business offering annual report services, trademarks, copyrights, business licenses, employee identification numbers, all of the type of filings that a small business would need throughout the life cycle of their business. And when we talk about life cycle, we also sometimes talk about dissolutions or closing of businesses, and we offer those services as well. And so our goal is to not just be a one-stop shop to get your business formed, but really to offer a service to customers where they can come back to us and get copies of their documents should they need to go to the bank or restructure their entity from an S corporation to a C corporation and do the necessary filings. A business is not stagnant. And so, so many things are changing that we want to be in the mindset of our consumers and small business owners when those changes and events happen in the business. And what's so unique about you is that you guys are really the answer to a lot of business owners out there who need actual legal documents, but they don't, for whatever reason, really want to actually see an attorney for all of those things because they're so ever-changing. And you guys make it really simple. They're online forms. You know, people can fill them out, register them, do whatever they need to do. And then one of the things that I recognize that you do very beautifully is that you guys put a lot of attention on customer service. So this is sort of like the... You know, if you have legal zoom on one end of the spectrum and you have your, you know, local attorney on the other end of the spectrum, you guys are kind of right in the middle where you're offering all of those services, but you're really giving a high level of customer service for folks who want to have access to those documents very easily, but definitely want some hand-holding, definitely want some customer service in there. You got it. That's exactly what we do. And our goal is to really create relationships. We know that entrepreneurs are often serial entrepreneurs and form more than one entity. And we're all about building relationships and having them think of us. And we don't always say we're necessarily an alternative to lawyers. I think we can absolutely be that, but we work often in concert with lawyers. So many lawyers even use us as their back end or CPAs, financial advisors, to do the filings for them because we just know what we're doing, we do it right, and we have good relationships with our customers. So lawyers say, okay, I could do this, but you might as well go to my corporation. They could take care of it for you in 24 hours and, and get you set up. And then often entrepreneurs may work with, with lawyers for a buy-sell agreement or some other strategy, um, but not necessarily for the, the, the most basic filings that need to be done when you start a business. So I wanted to take this second to jump back into the story. So now it's 2009. Intuit has taken over the company. You have now been placed as really kind of the director of all of my corporation and all of the um, services that you guys provide. What are you experiencing during that time? Like, what was it like to actually kind of be running this business of my corporation and yet being under the master umbrella of Intuit? It was so wonderful and exciting for so long in that you had such phenomenal resources under an, an incredibly successful publicly traded organization with experts in every area from social media to website design to customer service, the list goes on. But what is not a hallmark of a large corporation is that they are nimble and entrepreneurial and fast to respond. It's just not the case. So while we saw many successes as a result of our time with, with Intuit, we also saw that there were some hiccups and slow motion with regard to changes. And because our industry is based on 
50 state laws plus the laws of all the jurisdictions in Canada, we have to be active and changing and creative and strategic. And when we had those ideas, they took forever to implement and into it. But not the least of which, it was in 2009 when the economy was tough and resources were being allocated and many times to businesses that were not ours in the division. So we were seeing that some of our resources were being cut and um, we were being asked to kind of grow our revenue, but with a a difficult cost expenditure um, and the overhead of a large corporate organization. So I felt like, gosh, there were many divisions that were being divested and changes and restructuring. And maybe this was an opportunity for me to actually buy the company out of Intuit. Um, And I thought, you know, at the time you think they'll probably say no, but it's worth a try. And I feel like they respected me because I had been a part of the company and of Intuit and had been such an advocate for our division. Without being aggressive, I was supportive of our decisions within the organization. Long story short, they obviously took it well because it didn't go that quickly, actually. It took a number of months, but they said that they would consider it upon my initial proposal. And then about six months later, they came back to me and said, not only were they considering it, but they wanted me to present all the kind of what the buyout would look like and the structure. And so I did all of that. And then it came down to us kind of working with our legal teams on um, how that the buyout would look. And voila, next thing you know, I owned the company again, or I owned it out of, out of Intuit. So it was a really neat thing that didn't happen kind of overnight, but it, was, it evolved. And I think as it evolved, all of the parties thought this might make sense. And in fact, I think it did. Did you have anyone really helping you out or advising you during that time to kind of help walk you through those steps? Because that seems pretty forward thinking and very proactive for you to be able to see the potential there. It was pretty crazy. You know, it's funny because I was originally involved in the initial acquisition of my corporation by Intuit. And so I knew the players at Intuit and who was involved quite well. I also knew uh, kind of the division leaders because I was a leader of my own division. So I did kind of work with other people at the company to discuss the opportunity. My husband also happens to be a lawyer and, and an entrepreneur. So he was also a very strong advocate and supportive uh, analyst with me and um, thinking through what made sense and what didn't. But honestly, it worked itself so slowly and, and calmly into the right direction that nothing was frantic. And the other piece of it is I really didn't want anyone to really know about this because I was fearful of our employees. I didn't want them to feel like, uh-oh, the business is going under. I really didn't want our competitors to know that we were in maybe a potentially strategically compromised position. Even though we weren't, I felt like people might pounce on it and, and take advantage in some way. So to be honest, I asked very few um, trusted advisors. But when I was acquiring it out of Intuit, they did ask that I hire an outside counsel lawyer representative that I couldn't represent myself, although I, I knew that was a wise idea not to represent myself in the negotiations. And I used I worked with an attorney who I had previously gone to law school with who was in New York. And it was purposeful because I thought, I'll work with someone who has no connections out here, who doesn't really know the Intuit strategy. So I definitely had a lot of people who who were thinking with me, but I was also very quiet about the whole um, engagement and the process. How long did that process take? Gosh, it was probably about six months from offer to close of deal. And then it's about three more months for the 
you know, there's like an, a period between close and we notified the employees. We, you know, had to move out of the office facilities. So then there were another three months of in between time where we were still operating as part of Intuit before we became totally on our own. So it was really a nine month period. And then four and a half years after, I mean, I only feel like we're now looking up and seeing it's us, it's us, you know, because for a long time, you're just still reeling in the kind of the aftermath of all of the changes and structure reformations and how are we working with our customers differently and, be, and just really gaining our own identity again. And I feel like, you know, we're there and we've been working very hard and it's not like there was anything we needed to get rid of, but we just wanted to change our corporate mindset. So I'd say nine months start to finish on the deal, but a lot longer in terms of rethinking who we were and how we want to work with our customers. Or were there certain norms that you now had the freedom to be able to implement with your team in order to create the culture that you wanted? Absolutely. So in terms of our team, I think we went, ironically, to fewer meetings because I think we were over-meeting at Intuit, but more communication. So with that said, what I was wanted to do was be concise and clear. What are we doing? What do we expect? How are we moving forward? How are we a team? But avoid the constantness of corporate type meetings, meaning get off the floor, come into an office, talk for a half an hour, an hour, and then go back to the floor and feel like you're not sure what was said. So I started kind of being really strategic in my communication with my team, um, and then also opening up the doors of of communication in many ways. I felt like in Intuit, a lot of it was top-down communication, although of course there was engagement from the employees. I, I really felt like there was an opportunity for us to engage our employees to feel ownership of our success or even lack thereof to see, here's our goal for the month, here's how our numbers are projecting, here's where we're headed, and to really openly communicate that because then the entrepreneurial environment becomes one where people feel like, I'm an actual contributor, I'm making a difference. And then the end result of that is that they communicate opportunity areas that they would not have formally either cared about or felt like they could, you know, make an impact on. So I feel like once we opened up the communication in a way where it was not just tops down, but a really circular, universal type of communication, it made it a lot better environment from a, from a business um, and a personal standpoint. Now, how about your actual business structure? Because you were probably now looking at the business and saying, hey, I can make this work more efficiently. Hey, we can you yep. know, build out customer service here. We can tweak this over here. So what was your vision on how you now wanted to run your company and how did you implement that? I think that before when we had Intuit, and I was like this for even a couple years after we came out of Intuit, everyone had a very specific role, legal, SEO, SEM, technology, finance, and and not a lot of overlap, and it was very siloed, and that's kind of a standard for corporate worlds, but it took us a while to feel figure out legal doesn't necessarily have to just be the one lawyer who makes legal decisions, and that's all they do in this kind of siloed structure. But being a lawyer myself, I knew, hey, I can make these decisions. And I can also kind of wear my business hat at the same time. Maybe rather than having a lawyer just focus on where our legal risk is, I can kind of mesh that with the business and have a better perspective. Or finance can often work with our sales team and not just in a siloed finance office focusing on where's our profit and where's our loss, but actually think strategically about our sales roles and how do we get more out of our sales team? How do we inspire them? How do we pay them better? How do, you know, so all of those things became more of a cross-functional approach as opposed to simply um, a tops-down, um, micro-focused type of approach that I think 
is more hallmark of, of a corporate type environment. What were some of your biggest challenges, especially in these early years of you really kind of revamping the company? My biggest challenge was managing our employees. I think in the corporate world, I had HR department, I had all sorts of advisors and requirements I had to follow. And I just did as I was told with regard to the employees. But when you're on your own, and they're your own team, and they're coming to you, and I mean, it can range from my cat died, and I'm going to be out for two weeks to, um, you know, whatever, I got in a car accident on the way to work, I, this happened, and I'm going to be like, managing every single detail of every single employee was probably my biggest challenge. And having a, a being a lawyer by trade, I think I'm, I'm probably an individual contributor. I'm really good thinking strategically and working in relationships with people in a focused, organized environment. But when it became, you know, people would just come in my office and, and have all sorts of thoughts and all sorts of issues and all sorts of strategies and all sorts of customer this and that. And I, it just became really overwhelming for me to manage. So I think one of my biggest strategic moves was taking myself out of the, the literal day-to-day employee payroll, clock in, clock out, and have an operations manager um, take over that role, which gave me a little bit more time to be strategic on the business. Because I think so many CEOs and entrepreneurs tend to be a little bit controlling, and I probably was that way at first. I I wanted to make sure things were going right, and I had my hands in everything. And I realized quickly that if my hands were in everything, I was the master of nothing. <laughs> Basically, I I couldn't wasn't doing that great of a job because I was so busy worrying about everybody else's schedules and their vacation days and you know things that were just not positively impacting the business. So I think that honestly, that was the single biggest challenge I had was realizing that you can't manage it all and be successful, you've got to identify key leaders in your business to do those things and you could relinquish control. And then truly relinquish control because at that point you have to let the people you're giving these roles to take control of, of that division and, and really run with it because if they don't feel like they have the power to, to impact or make change, then you're never going to be successful at that point. Now, you mentioned this a little bit before about kind of shifting from the day-to-day practitioner, the attorney actually, you know, being a part of this business and, and kind of overlooking everything to shifting into this very strategic owner of this business system. What do you think were some of your toughest challenges or just maybe some of those moments when you just struggled so much because you were shifting from this practitioner, attorney, employee point of view to this actual business owner, strategist point of view? What what were some of those moments that were probably the toughest for you to make that transition? I feel like dealing with the day-to-day, those types of uh, realizing that things come and go and Every day is an inflow and an outflow of discussions and issues and topics from all your sales team, from all your customer service people. And so being very reactionary was my nature because whenever a client presented me with an issue, I had to act quickly and think quickly. So I think I had to realize, wait a second, I need to 
take a deep breath, think of things through. Nothing is an incredible emergency unless it really is. I mean, there's very rarely some crazy emergency and, and really think more strategically from a calm business standpoint. I think those were my big aha moments where I can't just go crazy on every single person's issue and take everything all the time as top notch, um, most important. I needed to identify those things and then I needed to react calmly to them as needed. Now, my corporation has about a half a million users using your services. What have been some of the most effective marketing strategies that you guys have used in order to get the word out there? Some of the most effective word get out there type messaging was on the radio. Satellite radio tends to be a really good channel for us, but it doesn't always yield conversions. It yields a lot of interest and um, a lot of traffic to our site. And then ultimately entrepreneurs will consider us. But a lot of times people come, they read our articles and they may not convert on an order. Some of the biggest converting strategies have been with accountants, CPAs, financial advisors, and word of mouth. Really, we are successful because we are so involved in the customer service and relationships of our clients. And so word of mouth tends to serve us extremely well. And, and you can probably imagine being a web-based business. We leverage SEO and SEM and all the online tools. But I think that when it comes to relationships and long-term relationships, a lot of it comes from trusted financial advisors and um, professionals that use our service. What's your number one challenge on being an online business um, and utilizing all those online marketing tools? Because those are constantly evolving, constantly changing. So what, yeah. have, what, what have been some of your biggest challenges and how are, what are you doing to stay ahead of that curve? And it's expensive, right? So I think ROI, focusing on our return on investment is critically important. That's what we have. That's been our single biggest challenge and our single biggest focus is we do not want to spend, actually, it's a funny story, but when we were with Intuit, we would spend millions, millions of dollars every year. And I'm confident that a lot of our competitors do the same. But the return on investment on the internet is not always what you're spending. So a lot of times you'd be at 0.5 ROI and you'd be spending $5 million, but only making two and a half. So when we came out from Intuit, I said, there's just no way I'm going to be spending that much money to make half as much. It just doesn't make sense. So really tailoring down our ads and campaigns and online marketing, display advertising, those types of things to, to our target market so that we can have a positive ROI, so that we can get those customers in the door and then maintain relationships with them over the life cycle of their business. But that was our single biggest challenge. You're right. It changes all the time. And so we would, we've used a number of different outside providers, and I think it comes down to us having someone who really understands our business, who understands kind of what the keywords are that, that customers who are looking for us are searching, and then realizing that we just don't want to spend an astronomical amount of money to have a negative return. It's really critically important for us to focus on how our return is, is yielding us profit. Can you talk a little bit about maybe the state of these legal documents? X amount of years ago, there's no way that anyone would ever fill out a, an online document and, right. and see it as legal. Um, and now that's very, very popular. And it's sort of having kind of a, uh, I don't want to call it a backlash, but there's definitely something else happening on the other end where, you know, attorneys who are practicing, sometimes they work with you and sometimes they're looking at organizations like you going, ah, that's our biggest competitor, you know, because we right. want to be able to do things so customized. So can you talk a little bit maybe about the state of the industry and where you guys stand yeah. in that and kind of where, you know, your everyday next door neighbor attorney is standing in that? 
Absolutely. So in terms of the state of the industry, I think it's unquestionably growing, and you hit the nail on the head that a lot of lawyers at times feel threatened. But I see there's a perspective that most of our clients would not incorporate but for our cost. So the alternative is about two to four. $5,000 for an incorporation or LLC filing with lawyers. And there is a place for that. There's absolutely multiple partners involved looking to go public. There are scenarios under which uh, uh, working directly with an attorney is critically important. But there are scenarios where a basic corporate filing can be done very simply, affordably, and easily. And as I mentioned, and you mentioned ironically, a lot of lawyers recognize that and think it's sort of like a service. And they're going to do this, perform this service. We can fight it or we can go along with it and actually leverage it because they'll do it for far less expensive than so many other um, providers would do it. So I think in terms of, of lawyers kind of adjusting to it, they're realizing, well, gosh, now we have a lot more incorporated businesses for whom we can work on buy-sell agreements, operating agreements, minutes or bylaws, and support those formed corporations as opposed to necessarily fighting the industry. I think there's no question that so much of online ease-based services are growing. People want easy services for less expensive. We've raised awareness in the industry because it's become such a popular opportunity as opposed to going to a lawyer that I just feel like the industry has grown exponentially. And as a result, lawyers are beginning to realize that it's not necessarily a direct competitor, but maybe a feeder for what could be more business for the lawyers uh, in, in the long run. So the really smart ones are the ones that are really parlaying a a great relationship with companies like you, right? You got it. And that's with anything, right? As the economy shifts or things change, those who kind of feel defeated by the change are the ones that are going to have the trouble. And those who realize the opportunity and see, okay, gosh, like these, now these all these new customers are going to be needing extra legal services or they're going to be needing bylaws or, like I mentioned, buy-sell agreements or they're going to have investors and that's where lawyers can come in and really make a difference. They might not have been in a position to do that before. And so this really does present an opportunity. And frankly, as sad as it is, more businesses often yield more litigation, um, which yields more revenue for, for law firms and lawyers as well. And speaking of kind of the new wave of innovation, I want to mention your social media platforms because I was thoroughly impressed, actually, for a legal company to have as much engagement and following as you guys have on social media. So you guys have how-to and educational videos on YouTube. You have a very good following on Facebook. Um, you 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 guys are out there on Twitter. What is your strategy to utilize social media, and what are your results? I think that... Because our industry has become so mainstream, we have to be there where entrepreneurs and business owners are looking and provide information, even if they're not incorporating or forming LLCs. If we are looking to ourselves and espousing us being trusted partners throughout the life cycle of a business, then a lot of that starts when someone just has a simple idea or they're looking for funding or they're looking for you know, a business type to start. So a lot of our blogging and our efforts on social media have come from that mindset of how do we educate, how do we help um, be a, a, a provider to our entrepreneurs and customers that we we hope to work with one day. And I think it's really thinking about looking a little bit more big picture. There's also an interesting approach that we've taken, which is to to come full circle with that, then to tell the stories of great entrepreneurs that we've worked with or helped incorporate, because that's so inspirational 
to other business owners and entrepreneurs where we say, you know, this person found us on Facebook in 2012 and here they are in 2014 and they've become a multi-million dollar business or whatever. And to tell those stories and to give inspiration to other business owners in addition to having people trusted financial advisors and lawyers uh, give legal advice and discussion about topics related to tax laws and the change of corporate laws, the new B corporation structure, which is a new type of business entity that many um, socially savvy businesses are trying to focus on. So I think that there's all sorts of opportunity to communicate in ways that are not purely salesy, but actually help customers who then ultimately become your best customers over the over time, um, even though it may not be right at the beginning. And a lot of times, you know, young entrepreneurs are our biggest contact and they look to us for information. And so they may not have the funds or financing to start businesses now, but they remember us when it comes to the time that they do. So you really get the fact and own the fact that education is really a huge component for you and sort of part of your service. And even the education that helps them understand what it is we do, because a lot of it is about educating consumers about what it means to incorporate and what do we do in that process and all of that big picture. A lot of times people, you know, we being in the industry know it so well, but we don't realize or it takes us to focus on all the things that our customers don't know. And we do a ton of responding to customer queries and questions, and then we leverage those questions to produce um, short, short vignettes or videos and stories on our blog and blogging on other outlets where we can actually educate in a way that our customers have told us, gosh, this is an area we don't know about, and then we're able to, to recognize that as an opportunity area and, and communicate um, education in that regard as well. Deborah, from your standpoint, what is the probably one or two of the most common mistakes that business owners are making when it comes to your types of services? I think a lot of times they get so hung up on whether to be a corporation or an LLC that they almost stymie and don't take action. Um, and the reality is that a corporation and an LLC provide you the corporate protection that you need to separate your personal assets from those of your business. And they also both provide you with tax benefits. I think that often you form a corporation and do an S corporation election and your taxes pass straight through to you as an individual the same way an LLC would. So many times it's, it's often semantics. I think customers get hung up on that frequently. Uh, and a simple call to your accountant may solve that problem immediately, or you know that you can file one type of entity and you can always convert to another type of entity should your status change or you need to be a different structure. I think the other thing that our customers often miss or get confused about are the difference between a corporation and a trademark. Uh, When you reserve your corporate name, you have that name for your business, but it doesn't necessarily mean that someone else cannot use that name or use it as a trademark. So it's super important when someone has come up, a business has developed a brand to protect their brand on a national level with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and identify that distinction between forming a corporation and developing a brand. And the two are not synonymous. And I think that's an opportunity area um, for us to continue to communicate to customers and to educate in that regard. Where are you spending your time in your business these days? What does your typical day look like? 
Oh, boy. I, <laughs> it changes often. We get really hyper-focused on certain areas. This season, March and April, we focus a lot on communications with accountants and financial advisors. It's tax season, so we spend a lot of time strategically thinking about marketing and um, what our newsletters are discussing and how topical it is to our consumer base. Um, I also, on a, on a daily basis, want to work with my sales team to make sure that they're not just selling, but educating and helping to convey so that we're not a hard sell type business. So we work a lot on what's the proper sales strategy, what's the proper communication to our customers. And then it's the hallmark of our business, and I talk about this incessantly, but offering great customer service. So when a customer calls, our team follows up with a call to make sure they know what the process is going to be. We do status updates. And then when the whole process is over, we call back and we make sure we did what they wanted, if they have any questions. And so that whole cycle is a constant communication process with our team, and I'm always making sure that we're doing right by the customer. And that takes a lot of time. So I spend a lot of my day doing those types of things. Um, and talking with the team and hopefully being an inspirational leader that I'm also willing to take sales calls or willing to be on the floor when things are crazy busy and, and we need extra help. And I think that's, that's always the case, especially during our busy season. How would you say that you have grown from working back uh, before the company or the law firm was even acquired by Intuit and getting under the Intuit umbrella and now running this company on your own? How have you grown? What are some major areas that you've grown as, as a leader? I sort of mentioned this earlier, but I've become so much more calm and thoughtful, not thoughtful in the giving sense, but I guess maybe that's true too, but just so I do not react crazy. I mean, not that I ever did, but I think I was always like, I better respond to this. I better react. I better take action. And now, not that I don't take action, but that I take, I I know in my heart that if I take 12 hours to think about this and provide a calm response or a thoughtful response or a creative strategic response, that the outcome will be far better. And so I think that over the life of working, my life of working in business and law, I've realized that when you're just crazy reactionary, often the outcome can just spiral. And when you take a moment and you think things through and you're calm in your response, the outcome is often far better. And so I think that I've truly grown as that kind of person. I've also grown in terms of my willingness to know where I am excellent and where I am not. And I think one of the things I am not excellent at is the constantness, I mentioned this again earlier, but of communicating every day with employees about why, you know, I'm on vacation for the next three weeks or I need 17 extra sick days. All that makes me a little bit crazy. And maybe that's the entrepreneurial part of me that I think, well, gosh, why aren't these people working? (laughs) Um, But I've realized that I've realized that uh, I just need to let that go. And I can't be a part of that, that every second of every day of every one of my employees and, and realizing that this is life. And this is why we have enough employees to cover time off. And this is why we get great people because we give great benefits (laughs) and just keeping perspective on that. So I think that that's been another growth opportunity and something I've really focused on doing. Have there been any business books that you've read or implemented along the way in your company that have really had a profound impact on either you as a leader of your company or the way that your business actually runs? 
you know, it's funny. We've read books as a team where we do weekly readings of a chapter and then we kind of comment on it as groups. Um, the Thank You Economy is one of them, um, which was kind of a fun group read. And Get Everybody in Your Boat Rowing in the Same Direction was another fun group read. But honestly, one of my most personal inspirational ones was the book Onward by Howard Schultz. And maybe it's because, well, first of all, I love Starbucks. <laughs> but secondly, it was a great book in that it showed how someone can take a business to huge success and then re- take a step away from it, give up your role, et cetera, and then realize that things may not always stay the same. And so learning to adjust and or to come back and, and effectuate change. And I think maybe it's about the process of learning and growing that really um, made me think, wow, this is a really neat book and kind of hit home in the sense that, you know, life life changes and things change. And so sometimes you need to adapt to those changes and sometimes you need to let go and realize that things can be better off. So that kind of strategy of, of running a business and thinking, where can I effectuate change and where do I need to let go and let others do it? Did you ever have one of those moments when it was just really low? And if so, what was that moment and what did you do to really get outside of that? I think that a couple things. Yes, I've had a couple of those moments. And you're right. I think it's probably around the employee issue. It seems to be kind of a theme of, of me is trying to manage. Um, and it's not like I feel like every day I come to work and I think, golly, I've got to manage these people. Not at all. I think that there's just some days where it gets overwhelming. You're managing customers. You're managing partners. And so there have been days in the in the last five years and before that where I just felt overwhelmed. I and mean, there was a time at Intuit where I felt like, oh, my gosh, I, I went for a heart analysis. I thought I was having a heart attack or something. I was so stressed out about just the management of the business. And so there's definitely days, I mean, actually being an entrepreneur, I have not felt that way physically, but I do feel that there are days when you just feel at your low. And for me, I exercise. I take an hour break and instead maybe of going to get lunch, I go to my Pilates class or um, honestly, I go get a manicure (laughs) and just I, I think I mentioned, you know, the, the perspective of just taking a minute away, taking a deep breath, getting some perspective on the issues, and then returning. I say it to my kids all the time. In fact, my son repeats it to me incessantly. But, you know, it's, it's time we all need to take a deep breath, and let's think for a second, and then we can reconvene. Because sometimes when you just try to power through it, it gets worse, not better. And I've learned that taking a momentary break, gaining some perspective on issues, and then returning to it just puts everything in such a better place. And then you don't react so quickly. And and honestly, I have this app called Amvana, which is an online meditation what's, site. What's and, the name of it? Uh, oh, Ombana, O-M-V-A-N-A, and I will listen to it. Just I think you can do something as short as 10 minutes or five minutes and then something as long as 30 or whatever, and I will just listen to it. It's plug your earphone in and no one really knows, but you're just sort of kind of taking deep breaths and realizing that nothing is that big of a deal, right? You can get through this as you can get through anything else, and I think that that's been, I do it sometimes at night before I go to sleep and in the morning before I wake up, but there's times in the middle of the day where I just need a little break from the, the monotony or whatever of the day and it just is helpful. So I think that and in my Pilates classes and giving my sons hugs, I love to pick them up from school. So that's my number one priority. And probably the best thing about being an entrepreneur is having the flexibility to, to go be with the people you want to be with most. Deborah, I really want to end this conversation by asking you, what is your vision for my corporation and what do you see in the future for you? I think our short-term vision is to continue optimizing our customer service and focusing on great products that service businesses 
as they continue to expand um, to other countries and, uh, you know, as the world becomes smaller for us to be available in more states and more countries as a service. Um, my my long-term, what will, what will happen to us, I feel like, gosh, if I were doing this for the next 15 years, I would be happy. We do get a lot of inquiries about um, acquisition of our company, um, but I would not want to do it unless it were 100% right. So I focus on the right opportunities. Right now, fortunately, my husband and I, are, I personally own the, own the business 100%, so I feel like I have flexibility to um, think strategically about where we go in the future, and I would love maybe one day to sell the business and have it be in a great place and have all my team be extremely successful and well-off. <laughs> but in the short term, I feel like we are plugging away and we are making great progress and we continue to optimize our profitability, and I want to keep that focus and really uh, engage the team in a way that everybody feels like we're all in this together. Deborah, I really want to thank you so much for sharing your story here with us today. Big congratulations on all of your success and thank you so much again for being here. Thanks for having me. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for listening in today. I am so happy that you were here and you got to hear this story from Deborah. You can go see the show notes for today's episode at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 24. Have an awesome day and I'll see you on the next episode. 